everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here today with Ankit Jain from Gradient Ventures. Ankit, welcome to the show. Let's uh, introduce you to our audience. Thanks for having me, Shramana. Really uh, excited and honored to be here. Terrific. Well, tell us about yourself a bit, your background, and also introduce us to Gradient Ventures. What is the focus of the fund? How big is the fund? And so on and so forth. Absolutely. So Gradient Ventures is uh, Google's AI-focused early-stage venture fund. We invest $1 to $10 million in, in companies that have a central AI theme or focus. Uh, these tend to be in one of two uh, buckets. Uh, the first are platform companies, uh, companies that are enabling others to take advantage of, of AI. Uh, some of the companies in our portfolio that fall into this are Algorithmia or Ubiquity6. Uh, the mm -hmm. other uh, bucket of companies that we tend to invest in are vertical applications, taking AI and applying them uh, to, to different fields. There's companies in uh, medical imaging, companies in augmented reality, companies in HR and recruiting. Uh, and, we're, and we're looking at uh, you know, companies ranging from the legal tech space to fintech, kind of taking the breakthroughs of the last few years in artificial intelligence and applying them uh, to, to specific verticals. Uh, we started the fund just about a year ago, uh, and, and we, you know, later in this, uh, in this talk, we can talk about why we started a fund, given how many there are out there, and, and how we think we fit in, into the Silicon Valley and, and greater ecosystem, and how we differentiate ourselves. Uh, but, but, but we'll get there. Uh, by way of personal background, I started my career uh, after grad school at UC Berkeley, uh, joining a small search startup that was trying to uh, reinvent uh, how search metadata was stored and how to be very efficient. Uh, to some degree, trying to compete with the, the, the big leagues in search, uh, that company ended up being acquired into Google in 2010, and I was fortunate enough to be a very early member of the Android, uh, Android team, helping build and launch a lot of what is now Google Play. Uh, I was on the search recommendations uh, and infrastructure side, so you can think of that as cloud and AI for Google, uh, Google Play, if you will. Uh, I left in 2013 to start a mobile intelligence startup, Quetra, uh, got a little piece of software on about 250 million phones, understanding what mobile users were doing. Uh, the the uh, analogy here is that it was like a Nielsen, but for the mobile ecosystem. I uh, was mm -hmm. very fortunate to be able to partner uh, with a larger competitor uh, in an acquisition with a, a similar web, an Israeli, uh, Israeli company and spent a couple of years there before returning to Google just over a year ago to help launch Gradient. Uh, and you know, very, um, very fortunate to be able to work with some very exciting entrepreneurs at, in, at, uh, at the cross-section of uh, Google and AI. Uh, I, I think we've got something very special in the making here. Excellent. So uh, uh, how big is Gradient? What, how big is the fund size? Uh, well, you know, like like a lot of things in uh, in machine learning and AI, we are uh, running an AI algorithm on ourselves to figure out what the right fund size should be. And uh, the the way it works is we've been given an allocation of capital uh, mm -hmm. on an on an annual basis. And as we uh, as we use it, we can get more. So there isn't a fixed fund size, if you will. Uh, so it's an evergreen country. fund with Google as the only limited partner, and you can access more capital if you want to, or need right. to. Okay. Right. 
Now, double click down for me on your definition of early stage. You said check sizes from 1 to 10 million. What is your definition of early stage? What does an AI startup need to show to be able to convince you that it has enough validation that there is something there? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting question, Shramana, and, and, and I wish I had uh, a clear answer of these are the, the end things that you need, uh, you know, to convince any investor uh, that, that you're fundable, and I think every investor has, uh, has their view on this. Uh, there's a few things that we look for, and, and, and again, they change by, uh, by the stage of the company. Uh, at the earliest stages, because the seed stage for us at least, uh, we're looking for a strong core team, um, a team that we think can execute in a given market. So what's, uh, you know, what, what a lot of people refer to as founder market fit, and then mm -hmm. uh, a large market to go and explore and find the, the right uh, product market fit in. So the earliest of stages, it's really about founders and founder market fit. And as some of the stuff gets ironed out, and as uh, they're able to start showing some of the proof points, as you get closer to a Series A, we start looking for some product market fit, some amount of success, early customer traction, early customer testimonials uh, that you know customers are turning into champions of the product in the in the larger industry. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, one of my mentors uh, from the venture world uh, told me early on the best companies tend to improve the quality of the team as they get injected with more capital, as they make more progress. So we really look for how is the quality, how is the, the size and quality of the team changing as it goes from year one to year two? Is the quality improving? Is it staying the same or is it uh, flatlining or going down? So uh, you are, in a nutshell, willing to write a million-dollar check to a founder market fit scenario where there is no... MVP, nothing. Yes, and, and we've done this. And, and you know, as, as a fund, there's, uh, you know, we've done uh, about 15 investments to date, uh, and you know, there's a handful of them that we did it at the very, uh, very earliest of stages, where you know, it's a, it's an entrepreneur that has that has shown that they have a lot of grit and passion about a certain market. They have some experience in that market. They want to go explore it. And so for a handful of companies, we're helping, in effect, incubating them at the, uh, at the seed stage. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and we're excited to do so. Uh, there's, other, there's other companies that, at the, at the, you know, even at the seed stage, they already have early customers. And so again, it really depends on the market and depends on what traction points uh, can be expected. Yeah, so the reason I'm, I'm probing this a bit is, uh, you know, there is lean startups and then there is fat startups. Um, in, it seems like in the SaaS world right now, people are expecting a lot being done in a lean startup mode before they're willing to write checks. Even seed stage investors are looking for product market fit. Um, you know, Series A is looking for million-dollar ARR. So now if you have to write significant AI software, it's, it could be that it, you need more time to do that and you need more you know, heavy-duty engineers and, and stuff like that, which is expensive, certainly more expensive than what you can do in a very lean startup mode. That's the, uh, that's the question that I'm probing with you is that uh, what is your expectation of how far along an entrepreneur should be to be interesting to you. That was the context of the question. 
Yeah, no, I, and I think it's a very fair question, and, and, and by no means do we disregard some of you know some of the key metrics behind a business or a market. Uh, but we also, having been practitioners in uh, the AI field, which I think really helps us in this context, uh, we understand that you have to sometimes invest uh, a lot of time and uh, in sweat equity to get to certain milestones, just build the basis of what is there. Uh, and, and so as we get to know a company, we really try to understand what the technology requirements are. Are they using, for example, uh, APIs that are available for image recognition, or are they uh, fundamentally building new algorithms? Uh, mm -hmm. And if they're building new algorithms, uh, then we start to ask questions along the lines of, great, so you, so you want to train your own models. Where do you get the training data from? Because sometimes you can have the best ideas on the algorithmic side, uh, but if you don't have access to the right data, you will never make it uh, beyond that. And there's interesting chicken and egg problems, and uh, the best entrepreneurs tend to have thought of those things, and that's why the founder market right. fit uh, becomes so important because they know where uh, access to data is or uh, how the right strategic partnerships can be forged early on in a business to unlock yep. certain resources that are needed. Um, and, and I think that uh, you know, as we look at companies, especially in the AI space given how hot it is, uh, one of the things we recognized very early on uh, is that at the seed stage, it is often very hard to recruit the best AI talent as your first or second employee. Exactly. And, so, uh, and, and, and it's not hard for any more complex reason than the risk and reward ratio often doesn't make sense in a market where the largest companies are paying very, very well for these yeah. positions. And yeah. so, uh, you know, given that this Google is a is very a, good point to explore. I was talking to a friend at a party um, last weekend. He, um, he's invested, he's a very experienced, very successful serial entrepreneur, he's invested in an AI company, and that company is doing very well. But, um, you know, this question of hiring is, is very serious right now. A hiring AI talent is very serious. So um, let me ask you, actually, the geography question. What is, uh, what is your footprint? Where do you like to invest geographically? Yeah, so, so, so Shramana, before we get to that, let's go back to the, the recruiting point because I think it's actually a, a, a very important point. Um, you know, Valley folklore and, and reality has been that the best companies are built with the best people. And so I think, I think we should, if it's okay with you, we can spend a couple of minutes on the recruiting and, and, and talent side. Uh, you know, having built a startup and having uh, worked day in and day out to recruit a very good team. I know how hard that is. And I, and I think most investors appreciate and, and really respect founders that, that make that a big part of their, uh, their job. One of the things that, that we uh, recognized early at Gradient was how hard this is. And we said, well, given that Google is our sole limited partner, what is something that we can do to help alleviate this? Um, is there something that we can do? And, and, and I think we've come up with something that I think is pretty special and uh, pretty distinctive uh, in the world of venture. Uh, what we've set up is uh, something that we call a startup rotation program where senior engineers and product managers and site reliability engineers at Google can um, take a technical sabbatical of up to a year at Google, uh, rotate into the fund, and work for our portfolio companies. Oh, um, very good. Very good. So Google, Google – 
Google continues to compensate them. Uh, they get a refresher, if you will, or a time to explore and grow their career in a new way. Um, while their work that is being done with and for our portfolio companies, any IP or uh, work product is owned by the portfolio company. So it keeps all three parties aligned really well. Uh, Do they get any equity? Uh, so, so the thing is, they're continuing to be paid for and compensated by Google. Uh, it right. is, we leave it up to our startups to compensate them on an equity basis if they would like. Uh, okay. and, and we're just getting this program off the ground. We've had one uh, rotator out for the last six months or so, and now we're, mm-hmm. uh, we just uh, marketed this within Google, and we had, we're having the first batch of rotators to a, a larger number of companies start in the next couple of weeks. I like this. This is very interesting, actually. (laughs) So um, I actually was asking you the question on geography as kind of like a follow-up to this, but tell me more about what is the geographical footprint of your companies and where do you like to invest, and how does the recruiting question play into that uh, geographical choice? Yeah, um, I, I think it's interesting, and you know, given how hot AI is, there's there's been certain centers of excellence, if you will, around uh, around the uh, the world, uh, and you know, we're we're a relatively new fund, uh, just over a year old, uh, publicly just over eight months old, um, and so far, you know, we started our uh, initial batch of companies here in the Bay Area. Uh, we have two companies up in Seattle, one in Austin, and we recently announced uh, our first international investment uh, in Toronto, Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we've, we've been pretty actively uh, looking at kind of all the, the centers of, uh, of startup innovation uh, in the U.S., uh, in in uh, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, uh, some stuff in, in London. Uh, but I think over the coming years, we'll, we'll kind of grow beyond that. Uh, but for now, the way we think about it is easier for us to have our seed investments closer to us, and then as we get to Series A and Series B, we can look for uh, for companies, um, you know, for, farther farther along um, in in other places, whether it is uh, Israel or different parts of India. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's hotbeds of innovation all over the world, and as we scale our operations, it'll help us um, invest farther from us as well. And how are the the companies in the valley that you're investing in or or even the ones that you have invested in Seattle or Austin are they using you know offshore development centers like or you know development centers somewhere else where there is a you know AI talent available more readily are you um, seeing you know, that yeah, you know we're seeing that um more commonly, like even in the last year, it's changed a lot. There's a lot of interesting AI development being done out of Ukraine, uh, out of uh, actually both Pakistan and India have uh, have certain uh, teams that are starting to specialize in AI. And uh, mm-hmm. at least one of our startups has a uh, has a team out of Pakistan uh, that is doing a lot of their AI development. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk about your portfolio companies, talk about some of the highlights, and especially talk about what stage did you get them in, like how did you encounter them, what did they have when you came into those projects, and you know what level of validation, what level of proof, proof of concept, or was it just founder market fit? So give us a flavor of a few of your investments. Sure. Um, so so I'll, talk, I'll talk about some of our companies that are... Um, that are on our website because we haven't announced uh, all of our all of our companies yet. 
Um, so the, one of our first investments was a company called Algorithmia. It's a company up in Seattle uh, that has created a platform that provides uh, microservices as a service, uh, you know, a la Amazon Lambda or Google Cloud Functions, but really uh, tailored for the AI world. Uh, it allows you to manage all of your models, both within an enterprise or across the public market. Uh, when we first met this company, uh, they had a very strong public marketplace, and they were just about to launch their enterprise product. This was, uh, you know, just a, just over a year ago, uh, and and you know, both Anna and I having built. Uh, teams that have used uh, this or that have needed this kind of infrastructure almost right away saw the, um, the, the power of what Algorithmia was offering uh, and, and leaned in pretty fast. And in, at this point, they had uh, the infrastructure uh, tested out, uh, a proof point that thousands of um, algorithm developers were publishing to this platform, uh, and, and a couple of beta customers uh, on the uh, on the enterprise side. Since then, uh, since our investment and since uh, since we first met them, uh, you know the the company has been growing uh, at breakneck speeds. Has uh, customers across Fortune 500 and governments, and uh, you know it, it's it's been exciting to see them grow. Uh, but again, that was kind of they were getting ready for their. Uh, Series A round. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'll, I'll talk about a company called Scotty, which we announced uh, just a couple of months ago. When we first met them, uh, so what Scotty does is they're trying to become the layer in the autonomous world that powers teleoperations. We know we're going to get to a fully autonomous world in 10 years, or you know, everybody has a different uh, feeling of when that will happen. Uh, what Scotty is seeing is. Um, there's going to be a period, a transition period, and maybe even after we go autonomous, where you need the equivalent of an OnStar uh, for your car or for your drone, where you need someone to take over. Uh, think about uh, you're getting to the airport, and that last 100 feet, there's you know, tons of cars that are trying to pull over to the curb as people get off and get back on and give each other a hug. Uh, maybe the autonomous car doesn't have the perfect uh, decision-making in that in that. Uh, in that second, and so why not have a human teleoperator take over for that last 100 feet? Or at a school when you're dropping off children and picking them up, or if you're a drone and you need to do that. And so uh, this is a company we, we met, uh, again, a while ago, and at this point they had a car with a couple of uh, you know, desktop quality cameras uh, strapped onto the top of the, um, uh, of the car, and um, since then, they've made a lot of progress, and they're working with all kinds of partners like Voyage uh, to, to make this reality happen. So again, there was very strong founder market fit. Uh, there was an interesting early prototype, uh, but that, that's kind of what we looked for in that market from a seed perspective. So hopefully those two give a, um, a, a little bit of an idea of, of where things are. Are you mostly thinking of um, or, or working on B2B projects? Uh, you know, uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's a, a handful of companies that we've invested in that are B two B, and then there's a whole another set of them that are B two B to C. For example, there's a company we invested in which is Alio, uh, 
they have a bot named Ali which helps with recruiting. So if you, for example, go to a, um, a jobs or hiring page for some of the largest CPGs, uh, in addition mm -hmm. to having the job openings or having all the information about the benefits and perks, there will be a little bot that comes up and says, hey, can I answer something for you? And so this way, uh, you know, there's questions that you might not feel uh, comfortable asking a recruiter. Uh, for example, hey, how many days off do I get? You don't want to ask that question before you have a job offer, uh, but you still want mm -hmm. to know, or what are the medical benefits? But people, what we're finding is uh, people feel comfortable asking Ali these questions or being able to identify the right job uh, okay. when there's hundreds of jobs. And so, uh, you know, that's the kind of B2B to C, if you will. Um, uh, that we've invested in, and there's a, there's a handful of companies that we're looking at pretty closely that are directly consumer businesses, uh, but nothing to announce at this point. Yeah, okay. And um, in the case of Algorithmia, what kinds of use cases are there? It sounds like it's a horizontal platform that could be applied to all sorts of use cases, and you said it's a Fortune, Fortune 500 target market. What kinds of use cases are they going after? So, um, you know, the, the simplest way to, uh, to describe Algorithmia uh, is in the context of um, a company that has tens, if not uh, hundreds, of algorithm developers. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of companies that are doing this, especially in banking and finance, where different people are trying out different models. Now, that mm -hmm. institutional knowledge uh, doesn't get shared across a company. Uh, often companies uh, that have internal code sharing infrastructure, let's say on top of GitHub, uh, everyone publishes their code to the GitHub. Uh, mm -hmm. And let's say, uh, Shramana, let's say you and I work at the same company and uh, you have written a sentiment analysis uh, model. Yeah. Now, if, if I want to use a sentiment analysis model, maybe on GitHub I can go and search, our internal GitHub, go and search for sentiment analysis. Sure. And Shramana, you have one and another one of our colleagues has one. In order to use that, I now have to go clone that code, compile it, make sure it works within the, the context of my code. So let's say it's in, in yep. different languages, now I have to translate it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of work to actually getting it done. And what people end up doing often is just saying, you know what, I'll get the basic idea and go build my own model. Uh, what Algorithmia enables is for you to say, I'll write the code and I'll publish it as an API endpoint. So now if I want to use your code, I don't have to even look at what the code looks like. I can just call the API uh, with I a see. couple of lines of, uh, of you know, wrapper functions, if you will, uh, and then tune it as needed for my uh, necessity. So, so that's, that's the enterprise use case. Now, the, the public market use case is that anybody can publish new breakthrough research onto the public marketplace and offer it for free or for a small charge on a per API basis. And there's research teams at many universities that are paying their bills by publishing their research as live APIs into the oh, algorithm yeah. marketplace. Uh, and and so you know, there's, there's very interesting use cases that enable folks that in the past would just you know, publish a paper but not actually publish the work and then everyone goes and tries to recreate it. Or yeah. uh, you know, for, for an enterprise to say, you know what, I will get 4,000 algorithms and models uh, on day zero if I just start using Algorithmia's platform. Mm -hmm. so, so these uh, enterprises are not only publishing their own to one another within the enterprise, they're also accessing algorithms from all these different researchers and the public market offerings that are on Algorithmia, so they're getting access to the marketplace as well. Absolutely.
Very cool. It reminds me a bit of Kaggle. Remember Kaggle? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, now you are relatively a young fund. You're just starting out, so I imagine there's not yet any exit that deserves to be discussed, right? Yeah, it, you know, we're, we're, we're super young. Uh, our investments are all uh, happily growing, if you will. Yeah. So now in the time that you have been entertaining deal flow, what trends within AI, what trends are you seeing? Um, I, 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 there, there's quite a few, so, so I'll, I'll go through a few of my kind of top, if you, top ones, if you will. Um, to start off, I think taking the existing breakthroughs and applying them vertical by vertical, uh, you know, I think there isn't a vertical where AI breakthroughs, someone is not trying to apply them, whether it's banking or yep. finance or uh, legal tech or medicine. Uh, I, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of companies in, um, in those spaces uh, where we're also seeing uh, a few companies that are, that are that are still trying to figure out what the right business models are, but I think they're they're very exciting, you know. And just stepping back for a second, as humans, we do two things: we understand the world, uh, we learn from the world, and then we help create the world. We help create mm-hmm. conversations like this one. We help create products. We help mm-hmm. create art, music, and we create everything around us. Uh, right. And uh, so far, a, a lot of the breakthroughs in artificial intelligence have been around perception and around understanding the world, whether it's natural language understanding, whether it is um, speech to text, whether it is image understanding. There's a whole wave of breakthroughs that are happening on the generational side, which is generating data, generating art, generating music. Um, and and. I think there's going to be a whole wave of companies that comes in the coming years that will fundamentally change the way in which we experience the world, the way in which we create products. There is a, a research paper around creating CSS from uh, an HTML and CSS from a Photoshop file, so it changes what a, develop, a designer can do. Uh, there's um, a lot of stuff around uh, speech to te- uh, sorry text to speech, uh, being able to generate voices, uh, generate videos, and, and I think it'll fundamentally change the way we we view a lot of uh, fields. So that's an area that uh, I'm very uh, very excited by. Um, another trend that I've seen uh, is, you know, over the last few years, uh, we have seen uh, a transition from. Uh, private data centers to the cloud, uh, but there's still this uh, disconnect in, in how those two entities transition into each other. And especially when it comes uh, to AI, a lot of the, the models uh, that are built uh, assume that the data is in one place. And so uh, you know, when you're doing image understanding, you send the, the image to where the model is, or if you want to train a model, you bring all the training data to one place and you build a model. I think that uh, is going to uh, change in a pretty fundamental way as we have data, more data in more distributed spaces, uh, whether it is on our cell phones, so you can build models uh, locally using, model, using methods like federated learning, or whether mm-hmm. data is on a blockchain uh, in a distributed way where you can't bring it all to one central place. What does that mean for the world of AI and for the mo- uh, world of, uh, of model building and uh, model ex- and inference. Fascinating, isn't it? It's a really exciting field. Yeah. 
And uh, are you chasing unicorns? Um, you know, given that we're uh, we're investing one to ten million dollars, we you know we're looking at the at a lot of companies that we hope that someday uh, will will show their uh, true market potential, and uh, you know, uh, hope some of them uh, get to that stage where, and, and we strongly believe many of them will get there. Okay, and. Um what is your perspective about all these? I mean, AI, as you said, is applicable to every domain. You know, if you understand the the tools of AI, you can apply it in creative ways to solve problems in every single vertical, every domain, every functional area. There's there are opportunities, but not all of these are billion-dollar TAM opportunities. Some of them are specialized. You know, maybe hundred million-dollar TAM opportunities or two hundred fifty million-dollar TAM opportunities. What? How do you parse these uh, opportunities? Um, you know, I, I think we're still at a very early stage in figuring out the true impact of AI on many markets, uh, and I think early stage investing is understanding the potential impact uh, an idea or a feature or a product can have on a market. Uh, I, I think market sizing evolves as markets expand. I think we're still way too early to really understand the, the true market size in many of these fields. And so what we look for are the right founders in the right market. Uh, and when I say the right market, it's really the largest impact that we can see, what, you know, the ways in which we truly change the, uh, the market in which they're working in. Uh, and I think for an early stage investor, that's what you should be focusing on. I, I think if if companies do things the right way, uh, market sizes will will expand. I think the best example of this in the last few years is Uber. Uh, if you were to look at the total global taxi market size, uh, people would not have been able to imagine how big Uber and the entire ride-sharing ecosystem is today. The market truly has expanded with the success of uh, the Ubers and the Olas and the, the DDs of the world. Uh, yes, true. But, you know, going back to your question about founder market uh, fit, right? Um, let's say it, one, of the, one of the requirements of being able to define really interesting AI solutions to specific domain-specific problems is deep domain knowledge. So I would say in, in evaluating founder market fit, you kind of need um, – deep domain knowledge in a particular workflow and in a particular domain to be able to define a good solution to a vertical problem. And uh, one of the things that's happening on the large company side, whether it's Google, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's IBM, Watson, there is actually quite a bit of abstraction happening and will happen more and more as we go along where uh, the, the software layer is being tackled, the base level um, capabilities of AI are being tackled at the platform level and, you know, there are uh, provisions now for people with not rocket science level knowledge of those, you know, deeper layers be able to define solutions specifically with this idea in mind. In that case, in a scenario like that, if you have a founder who knows how the world maybe has created a partnership with Google's um, AI platform and has built something on top of that using his or her deep domain knowledge in a specific domain, but 
So it's a, it's a very deep, very specialized, very powerful solution for a particular domain, and you have great founder market fit for that. However, the, it's, it's a very niche solution. It's not a billion-dollar opportunity. It's a hundred-million-dollar opportunity. That's what I'm talking about when I say that there are, you know, there is actually lots of such opportunities out there. And, and in that case, this founder's domain-specific knowledge is in that domain, and that expanding out of that domain doesn't give them any leverage. As such. There's no unfair advantage to expanding out of that domain. I, so, Shumana, I, if I may, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go back to my previous example with Uber. I, I think that was a very niche opportunity when it started off, uh, but they created a large market within that niche. I think another example, uh, kind of going back uh, 10 years or 15 years, uh, you know, the Oracles and SAPs have, have uh, designed the database systems for, for many large companies, and you, you could argue that uh, systems built on top of that uh, wouldn't have the ability to uh, you know, be large, uh, large uh, companies. Uh, but there's, again, companies that use databases. Uh, they've, not, they've probably not uh, developed their own. Companies like Workday uh, that you could say are you know, very niche HR opportunities, but they've made a, a big business out of it. I think the same but thing... But HR is big about. horizontal, right? These are... What you're describing are big horizontal opportunities. I'm talking about more the very uh, specialized vertical stuff. Sure. And, and I guess uh, fundamentally, you know, it's hard to talk in hypotheticals. I'm sure there's going to be opportunities where uh, we see a good business, but not one that's a good fit for venture, and that's perfectly okay. I think, um, like a lot of funds, we, we work... Uh, within the constraints of what uh, a venture model is, and we've got our internal benchmarks on how, how much growth we'd like to see on, in a company for it to, uh, to make sense from a venture investment point of view. Right. Yeah. No, I, I got that. It's not, this is not applicable to your fund, but I'm just pointing out that there is a lot of this stuff going on, and, and I think it's very much part of I've, I talked to uh, the CTO of uh, Microsoft Azure where they're really trying to provide that abstraction layer for people like this who have domain knowledge and who want to use AI to solve problems within a specific domain, niche domain, can um, avail of the AI facilities. And I think it makes a lot of sense because the rocket scientists are going to be working on startups like the ones that you are investing in. They're not going to be working on this niche vertical software way, way out there in the core, in some corner of automotive or some corner of retail. <laughs> Absolutely, so, but, but those problems are also they also need to be solved. So, you know, a, a good example of this is that you know, and this is the power of platforms, right? Whether it's it's platforms like Microsoft Azure or AWS, GCP, or Watson, or even platforms like Wix. I think Wix is a great example of a company that enabled a lot of folks to make websites. Uh, you know, right. a la GeoCities back in the day, uh, because they said, hey, all you have to know is an idea of what you want it to look like, and we will, you know, take the coding part away from you. Uh, because yeah. now, you know, if you're a dentist and you need a website, you can go build it. Uh, and, right. Or if you want to have a wedding website, Wix is probably one of the best solutions out there for it. Right. Yep, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And now it's a bit more complicated to do that with AI, but, but that's really where it's going, I think. Well, you know, uh, it's complicated today. I think if we were to 
uh, look back at this in five or seven years, or maybe even sooner, it wouldn't be as complicated. Just like when you're creating a website on Wix, in the background, it's using databases and it's using APIs. Uh, the same way I think there will be layers of tools and layers of abstraction uh, that will make AI just be part of it uh, without, uh, without you knowing it. And, and I think that we're already seeing the first flavors of this. Uh, you know, there's a company in our portfolio called Cogniac that takes the magic of uh, image labeling and building a model around it um, and, and takes it and kind of abstracts it out so that some of its uh, customers are um, just feeding them a bunch of image data and they figure out which of the images need to be labeled in order to build a, uh, a, a, um, a model with high uh, accuracy. Uh, you know, this is, there's other similar uh, work going on on the Google Cloud side with AutoML. Uh, again, the idea here is to enable as many folks in as many industries, whether niche or large, to not have to have a deep understanding of AI, just have a deep understanding of the domain, and then go build something on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Great conversation, Ankit. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Audience, thank you for listening today. And... Uh, as you know, you can come anytime to these uh, free mentoring roundtables with your projects, and we will strategize and, and uh, work on figuring out how you can put one step before the other and uh, removing your roadblocks. So see you at one of those sessions. Go to the website, 1mby1m.com, and go to free public roundtables and register to pitch or attend. And we'll be back here with another edition of the One Million by One Million podcast.